Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. A little bit about me today. One, uh, I punctured my eardrum so I can't hear and then I can't regulate my voice. So uh, you may need to plug your ears sometimes and then other times. If I notice too many of you are leaning in, maybe I'll pick my volume up a little bit. Uh, And then also I'm sitting in this chair because I want to create a cool coffee house vibe where we're just having a chat. Um, actually, because my foot's not working this morning, uh, thanks to some arthritis. Uh, we, as Rick mentioned, uh, next week is the fifth Sunday in the month of July. Every time there's a fifth Sunday, we have uh, an all-church worship service where instead of the youth and the kids going down to the break, or down to classes at the break, instead they stay in and worship with us. We still have nursery available, uh, but all the the rest of the bigger kids stay in with us. And there's a couple reasons for this. One, to give our teachers a little bit of a break so that they don't have to pick up the extra day. But then also we've realized that in the way that our worship and church environment is set up with the classes, that uh, we need to create spaces for the kids to experience the whole worship service on a regular basis so they can learn the skills and the experience of being in a worship service so that when they get older, uh, they're not afraid of it. They don't know, uh, they're, they're not going and not knowing what's going on. But then also so that they can see what God is doing in our midst here, especially when we practice the table together and the, and the church comes forward to feast and dine together. So that's going to be next week. And then immediately afterwards, uh, we want to practice hospitality as we've been talking about all summer by enjoying one another's company, praying that it's not too hot, and going out to the field to have hamburgers, hot dogs, whatever sides and things you sign up for. Steven's very excited about kickball. Uh, My wife Meredith is excited about water balloons. Uh, There's going to be bouncy houses uh, and all kinds of things. Now, it's not going to be the best food you've ever had. Uh, I've seen our church play softball or kickball before. so it's really, those are not the things that's going to make next week great. What's going to make it great is this chance to be together. As we've been talking about hospitality all along, it's like amazing things happen when we come in close proximity to one another. And so I want to encourage you that in light of the hospitality that we're going to practice next week, that you consider if you might invite somebody else to taste and see that hospitality. So you may have people... Uh, in your life that you would love for them to meet the people in your life in this community, or you would love to have them come and check out this space. Maybe they have a different view of what church is than what you found here, uh, or maybe they have a longing for church and their experience from before that matches here, or, uh, but even if they're a stranger to it. If you invite them to come to church and then have hamburgers and hot dogs and kickball afterwards, maybe that's the Sunday that they do want to come. especially if they have kids and they don't want to go the first time and then send the kids off to a strange thing, well, the kids are going to stay in here, so they won't be the only kids staying in here. Uh, So there's a lot of of opportunity, I think, next week, if we will, just ask God the question in prayer, you know, is there somebody I could invite to come along to be with us next week? Um, So that'll be next week at 10 a.m. If you get here early, you can hang out with me as we watch the band. Uh, and then stick around if you're available. We have been talking about hospitality all summer long. I hope something has stood out to you um, from the sermon series. Something I've noticed with sermons at All Souls 
if you preach a real clunker, somebody will come tell you, try to rescue you, and lift you up and tell you something that was good about it, or just how much they appreciate you. Um, but if you, sometimes the, the, when, when God's moving and we are kind of following him well in the sermons and we're getting close to his heart for things he's calling us as a community to do, sometimes when that happens, we just go away and we, we chew on it. And so that's something I try to help Stephen remember. is like, hey, Stephen, just, just because you're not really sure where people are at doesn't mean they're not somewhere great. Like they really may be. And uh, in this series, we've had a lot of different uh, things that have stood out about hospitality, having a longer table, uh, Jesus is our host. We talked about that. In view of God's mercy, the importance of that. Uh, the, the idea of Jesus saying, do you understand what I've done for you? And then what going and doing likewise can mean. So hopefully something you've connected with and God has laid on your heart an imaginative spirit for showing hospitality to other people. One of the things that has stuck with me is the necessity to practice diligence, discipline, intentionality when it comes to hospitality. We think we are far more hospitable than we really are. And, and, and as I'm going to talk to you tonight, like we have a lot of spiritual disciplines that we think about, and we usually think about that as our, our quiet time, but where's the time that's loud? You know, like spiritual disciplines is your quiet time and everything you can include in that. But also, your spiritual discipline is that loud, intentional time of sharing space with one another. I don't know that God's going to do a miracle in the field next week, but he could. Because somebody could find a sense of home and connection, a sense of hope, a sense of rest in the midst of despair. All kinds of things could happen next week. And at the very least, we'll have hot dogs, right? So it's a win-win. Today we're going to talk about... uh, a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 10. And before I read the passage, I want to set the scene for you. In Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy is meaning the second reading of God's law, right? So God in Genesis establishes his covenant promises that he's going to save the world. He's going to do it by sending a seed, the seed of the woman. Someone will come into the world Uh, to face the challenges of sin and brokenness and alienation from God and to restore us and bring us back home. But God's people, because of sin and brokenness, leave God's presence in the garden and then wander into brokenness. God reaches down to Abraham and blesses Abraham and offers him a blessing. I will make you a great nation. I will give you more descendants than the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. And you will be a blessing to the nations. All right? So God's promises at the beginning is about, about restoring humanity, all of humanity to his presence. And then as they're developing into nations, saying, I'm going to use this nation to become a blessing to the nations. We read in the New Testament that the nation is the family of God. If you are in the family of God, you are the nation uh, that's kind of following and seeking after him. That doesn't mean we need a nation in the same way that that they practiced then as some kind of desire, but that our nation and our home is really when we are with God and with his people. And that he's got more people than we could imagine. And so that call to hospitality fits in there. So then Abraham's family goes down to Egypt, and in Egypt they're enslaved and oppressed. They're made vulnerable, they're exploited, and God hears their cry that under the oppression they cannot worship God 
celebrate and enjoy him the way he has created us to do. So he sends Moses as his messenger to deliver them, lead them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and into the promises of God and the promised land. What made the promised land the promised land was not the milk and honey. I always think of honey nut Cheerios when I think of that. But it was the promise that when you get here, you will be with me. And in the New Testament in Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews shares that there's still a greater promised land to be because Jesus is that promised land, a greater rest to enter into. So we're on that path from alienation, sojourning, oppression, exiles, into our ultimate home in Jesus, in the life of God, in God's presence. As the people of Israel were brought out into the wilderness, they started longing to go back home. They didn't like the journey, so they started misremembering history and how great they had it in the good old days of slavery and bondage and oppression. And they're described as being a stiff-necked people, obstinate, self-seeking, self-reliant. They want to turn from God and go back because the journey may be a little bit too hard for them. And so God sends down his law, his instructions, his direction for them to say, as I'm delivering you to become a people in a place, here's some instructions for how to go and live in that place. And here's what it looks like. So they hear it, they go, they don't enter the land, they end up in rebellion, and then he's preparing them longer. And as Deuteronomy is written and shared, it's written and shared because the generation that got God's, that was delivered and got God's Uh, instructions and design, many of them have died off. Their wandering is coming to an end. They're preparing to enter into the promised land. So they're reading the instructions a second time to prepare them to enter in. We similarly stand at a precipice because you stand at one every day and you stand at one really every week. Every moment we have the choice, the opportunity to turn to rest in God, to make our home in his presence, or to turn to the wilderness of our everyday lives and try to fix and make our home there. And so we're always in that reality, but sometimes like this season at the end of July, where we're moving from summer rhythms into fall rhythms, this is a chance to take stock in inventory, to say in the week ahead, here at the end of July, or in the next coming months, where does God want me to meet him? Where is he inviting me to go? And so that's the question that we want to ask of ourselves as we hear Moses reminding them and instructing them for where God is taking them and where they are to go. Now this is also Moses' last words to them, this book of Deuteronomy, because of sin and rebellion, he's not going to go into the promised land with them. And so it's his, his last words of encouragement and support and saying, walk in this road, teach people the story, especially teach your children the story of God's deliverance, to trust in his design. I coached football for a long time. Uh, I had a coach in high school who uh, was a guitar player. Uh, one of those grew up in Mississippi, sold his soul to the devil kind of things. Uh, and, and played uh, with a, a handful of famous people. But then his skill in playing music kind of led him away from the Lord. And so he said, as an act of obedience, I'm going to set my music aside. I'm going to do something else. And he came back to his love of, of football. 
Uh, and so he was a coach who really wanted to be a, a musician and a star. And so his speeches, I tell you, they could go on and on and on. And so I vowed that when I got to coaching, uh, I would keep it simple. And then sometime when I got to preaching, I was like, I'll keep it simple. But we're still working on that promise. I found myself over and over again, when you get all the kids together and they're excited and you're getting ready to go out on the field, you're getting ready to get there, you want to encourage them. You also don't want the moment to be too big. You don't want them to be overwhelmed. You want them to remember something. But as soon as you start getting them to remember the first thing, more things come to mind. All right, so it was always like, uh, communicate, listen well, uh, go have fun. Uh, and then it was like more things of like, hey, don't forget that you're supposed to do this when we do this. At halftime, we're doing this. Hey, we've got a barbecue next week. Don't forget at the end of the month, the playoffs start on this date. Don't go to basketball tryouts. And you just start adding more and more things. And I'm not sure in the messages where I gave them one reminder or the ones that it turned into 10 minutes, I'm not sure ever what they heard when we went out on the field. And similarly, when, when I sit down and listen to sermons, there's a lot of times where I leave and I was like, that was good, but I'm not really sure why and what I'm supposed to remember. So I just want to tell you now so it doesn't get lost if I make all this too long. The heart of God is the heart for others. Unless we go with God to others, we won't remain in his heart. His presence will be lost to us. As the people of Israel go into the promised land, they're not supposed to go there as the new group on the block to take over and establish themselves in their own strength. They're meant to go as a people who have been delivered from bondage and to remember that God delivered them out of bondage so that when they encounter others, they don't put them into bondage and when they encounter others who are experiencing bondage, they share with them the God who frees and delivers. The whole heart of God is in his character and his likeness, but it's also in the things that he does, that he prioritizes, and that he goes after. We as a church want to go and meet with him in the fullness of who he is. When we talk about hospitality at church, we've talked a lot about inviting one another over to our homes, being more intentional about the people that we love and spending more time together, and that's good. But when the Bible talks about hospitality, it always has in mind the foreigner, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the poor. The instructions about the other and the stranger vastly outweigh God's instructions for those in power those who are established, how we should relate to the government and things like that. His focus in his heart is always on those he has made to be dependent on him for hope and healing and rest and freedom. So if we want to walk with him and experience him, his presence, his heart, his hope, we have to go where his heart is walking. And that's in hospitality with strangers and others. So let's listen to Moses' words, his pregame speech on the banks of the Jordan, waiting to cross over and hear how quickly uh, he shares not only who God is, but what God does and in inviting the people to walk and live in that. This is Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 19. 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations. As it is today, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we are on the verge of another week in our lives and really on the verge of another afternoon after church to kind of figure out what to do and where to go. And Lord, we pray that wherever it is that you would bring us to your heart. Help us, Lord God, to see the stranger. Help us, Lord God, to remember with joy what you have asked and required of us is also what you have desired for us, for our good, for your glory, for the joy of the world. Help us to see the strangers among us and to remember or know for the first time that we are strangers in need of deliverance and that you are a God who delivers. Help us to walk in that by faith this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm amazed and surprised that when Moses is going about this pregame speech, and he's trying to remind them of the law, that he would put together what it seems like uh, religion and devotion to God, and then love for the people who seem to be the farthest from that religion and love of God, which are the strangers and the aliens among you. And so we have to understand that this is radical, and we have to understand that this is near and radical and that this is who God is. This is his heart for us. We have a tendency in the church, I think we're increasingly moving into a day of polarization. Like, just think about how much polarization there is in the world already. But it's not really new. I think what's new is our ability to communicate about it. That We have so much more access to see all of the things and we're being pulled apart in those directions. But the reality is in the church, because you can read about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament and throughout church history and in your own lived experiences, we as humans want to reduce God down to something manageable. And given whatever insecurities, fears, pride, shame, whatever your background is, we're going to tend to reduce God to that. So in the church, churches tend to fall into one of these two camps. This vertical relationship between us and God our allegiance and obedience to him, striving for spiritual knowledge and wisdom, practicing uh, worship, um, engaging with our minds and our hearts, and sometimes, a lot of times, at the expense of God's fruit in the world, his love for others, the transformation 
of, of the kingdom. And then you've got other churches and traditions and backgrounds that are really good at going to love and serve. They are generous. They are kind. They are coming alongside the poor and the widow and the orphan. They're coming alongside the foreigner. And they're seeking to build God's kingdom and his house, his dwelling place, there amongst the people who reflect God's image. On the one hand, we can focus so much on the vertical relationship that at the, at, at the expense of God's work in the world and bearing fruit for the sake of others and miss out on part of God's heart. And then on the other hand, this isn't entirely fair, but I've seen it happen on a lot of times that churches who do such a good job with the mercy and the kindness and generosity, sometimes what we lose is any distinctive design from God in what our human lives will then look like. So we got the picture of what community should look like in the way that we operate together, but there's not really that same sense of what the Lord requires of us individually and that his design is good for us. And so we can kind of leave some of the truth of God behind for the sake of truth over here. We leave a lot of the truth in, in action of God out over here and a lot of the doctrine here too. Because again, just like with hospitality, it's like the Bible is full of the command to show hospitality to foreigners and strangers. But we spend a lot more time <coughs> talking about <coughs> justification and sanctification and tithing and all kinds of other things, right? The, the reality of sin and brokenness and the penal substitution of Jesus. We talk a lot about that kind of stuff, but we miss out on, on this aspect of the heart of God. In Deuteronomy is something called the Shema, recitation about God. What is the core thing that you believe about him? And the core thing goes like this. Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There's no division in him. And because the Lord your God is one, it follows how we are to be one and operate together. When you look at the life, the spiritual life, the vertical relationship that Jesus has with the Father, something you notice about it all throughout the New Testament is that others are always present. His prayers are saturated with the needs of his people following him and those who are not yet following him. So in his personal religious piety and commitment to the Father, everybody is present with him. And when he goes to love and serve and meet the needs of the people around him, the vertical dimension of God's character and likeness in the world is always present and brought near. In Jesus and in God, there is no division but in us will fall to one side or the other. So I want you to consider for yourself and to do some inventory about us as a church community. Where are we out of balance? Which way do we fall? Do we fall to the side of the needs and obligations uh, for God's goodness to come into the world at the expense of knowing and seeing his story for us? Do we devote ourselves to that vertical relationship and miss out on all the ways he's inviting us to go to one another? I appreciate that. That's some hospitality right there. As a church at All Souls, and somebody shared this with me after first service, and, and I think it's really true. What you see and hear up front, what you can read about in the newsletter, we are always going to err a little bit on the side of that, I think, that vertical, God's grace applies and heals you. 
And I think we do a good job of presenting the other side, just not as good of a job. And one of the things that I've noticed this week, talking to people about the ways they are going to serve and love, especially refugees and foreigners and immigrants, is that there are so many people doing it well. And a lot of them came out of a background like this and then had a little bit of that. And so they've been fully formed, right? They've rounded out their spirituality, experiencing seasons of both. And they're desiring to walk in that more and more. And I think God is working on that in my own heart as well to to recover and experience another side of him that I didn't walk in uh, or experience a lot growing up. And so it's kind of like eating a well-balanced meal, living a well-balanced life, but it's not like this go do it yourself. It's go be with God because that's where he is. Go be with God because in him there's no division and he balances these two things out perfectly. We want to grow to do that as a church. But we have to have that caveat, that caveat that the church is not the staff and the church is not the elders. The church is not just the people who are volunteering. The church is all y'all. And so we as a church want to live a wholehearted experience of God's heart so that the world and our neighbors and one another can see the whole heart of God. Because that is our home. Our home is in God's heart. It's not the places that we occupy. It's not the service that we do. It's not the knowledge that we have. It's going to be present with Jesus everywhere that he's at work. Do we have that kind of balance? You will look at the church and see absolutely that our church and our practice will be out of balance. The only question is, how can you help? Because if you come to me and say, hey, we're out of balance, I think you really need to devote more time to this, you're probably right. And I want to receive that and work on it. But I also know that God didn't make me and he didn't make any of the other staff, leaders, or volunteers to be fully reflective of his image. We're all called to play a part and to bring and share our gifts so that he gets the glory that his heart is known, not ours. As a church, one of the reasons why we need to move to be on mission together is because when you find somebody who's really generous and gracious, or you find somebody who's really wise and devout, you look at them and you say, they're just a better person. They're a more evolved person. If I had their circumstances, I would do the same things with it. It's my circumstances fault. But when somebody comes in and sees a community of people that are so messy and dysfunctional and diverse in what we do and what we know, but moving in the same direction, they're going to not see us, they're going to see God. That's where we want to go. This fall, we're going to do a series on our mission measures. And these mission measures are, are things that we think God, the fruit he wants to bear in us, the kinds of stories he wants us to tell about his work at All Souls, and the stories we hope We will live outside these walls so that the community would hear and see God's heart as well. But for right now, the questions are, how are we in or out of balance? Do you see in this passage how God is connecting love for him, obedience to him, with love for others, that there's no division? Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? And you would expect, you know, religious piety and devotion. 
Fear the Lord, which fear here in the Old Testament, fear is always reverence. It's the awe-inspiring humility that God is bigger than I've reduced him to. His heart is bigger. His plans are bigger. His demands are higher, and I can't fulfill them. You're supposed to get there so that then you look to him and are moved more and more by how he is that we might seek to be with him and become who he's made us to be. To walk in obedience, the trusting obedience that we know what he says is true, what he says he'll do, he'll do, and that our circumstances, our doubts, our fears, our shortcomings will not prevail or overcome it. To love and enjoy him and find our delight in him, not simply his blessings. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, observing the Lord's commands. And that observe is this intentional, disciplined, trying to walk in his footsteps with him. Observe the commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. The purpose of God's design and plan for us is that he would meet us and fill us with himself because that is our ultimate good. I have seen people's lives ruined financially, relationally, physically, destroyed in every manner. But if the heart of God's is theirs, if he has offered it to them in grace, their life is more beautiful than the richest, healthiest, all these kinds of other things. What our good and our need is, is to be in the heart of God. The Lord your God is bigger than you can imagine. The heavens belong to him, the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. And yet he is gracious and intimately near. He knew your fathers and forefathers and everybody before you and set his affection on them, not because they were anything to boast about, because they weren't, but to choose them that his heart would be made known. Then he says to them, Therefore, as God has loved them and chosen you, and all your descendants and their descendants. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and be stiff-necked no longer. In the book of Romans chapter 2, Paul elaborates on this command. Circumcise your hearts, be stiff-necked no longer. And what he has in mind is the way that the church and the Jews and the Gentiles within it were divorcing the vertical dimension of faith from the horizontal dimension of faith. The Jews were promoting their piety and their devotion that they had practiced circumcision at eight years old and saying, look, we are clearly God's people walking in his ways. And Paul says, but do you see the ways you violated everything else about God's heart? And then the Gentiles have come in despite their cultural background and have this commitment to love and serve one another, but are not yet understanding how they need to leave behind the culture of their, uh, of their upbringing to assimilate into God's design and plan. And so Paul, unpacking this promise, says, circumcise your hearts, which is not something you do, he says in verse 29, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit to move you from stiff-necked and obstinate and my way is the right way and the crushing burden of that to an open, humble, porous posture that says God is bigger and nearer. God's heart is full and can encompass everything for our good, not just us, but for all of the world. 
The Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He is not impressed by your piety and devotion, nor by your generosity and, and mercy. But he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. One uh, theologian has called this group the fatherless, the widow, the foreigner, right? So the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor, the holy quartet. Throughout the scripture, the vast majority of time, over 95%, that you see God talk about one of these groups, he talks about the other three as well. It's a shorthand for those who are vulnerable, for those who are subject to be overlooked, for those who don't have the support and the advocacy, who don't have the, the resources and opportunities, for those who are vulnerable to be oppressed and taken advantage of. And it happens over 90 times in the Bible that the command is to show care and hospitality to this holy quartet. Why? Because at the heart of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a holy quartet. At the heart of the abundance of God's goodness and riches and perfection is everybody that is in need. Jesus says, I have not come for those who are not sick. They have no need of a doctor. And so if we can't recognize in our own lives our need for deliverance and the ways that God is meeting us and the ways that God is overcoming and the ways that God advocates for us and the way that he heals us and the way that he clothes us and the way that he's working in spite of our stubbornness and being a stiff-necked people, then the entire life of his heart and presence that is for others in a similar situation, we'll look down upon it, despise it, and we'll never go. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. God has delivered you, preserved you, and sustained you. Even if you have been slighted and oppressed and in bondage, he has called out to you, cried out to you to meet you and preserve you. If we know and walk in light of that in our relationship with him, if we know and walk in light of that in our relationship with others, these two things inform one another and lead us into the whole heart of God to be gracious enough for us and for everybody else. If you only have devotion and a spiritual life that's, that's out of balance, if it's only in one of these two categories, God has so much more for you. He has so much more for you. To invite you, include you, not only as somebody for his rescue mission, uh, but to come alongside with him in this rescue mission. Do you know how he's delivered you? Do you know where he needs to deliver you now? Have you offered him the places and the ways that he needs to circumcise your heart? To open you back up? So that first question is, how do we, or how, what's our balance look like? Do we prefer one over the other and we might be missing out on something? That second question is, do we know how he's rescued us and how he's inviting us to go and rescue one another? The danger in a sermon about hospitality... <clears throat> is that we could talk about hospitality in the way that the Bible talks about it 
in a very different culture than the Bible and different sensibilities. And we can paint such a high picture that only the experts have a call to action. When we talk about foreigners and immigrants and strangers, we always think about, well, who are the experts who can come in and really meet these needs? And so we don't want to talk about it so specifically that it lets all of us off the hook. And not the hook of obligation, but the hook of being able to show up and receive God's goodness. But we don't want to, so we want to generalize it. But we don't want to generalize it so much that we rest on, it's true that we are all poor in spirit, that we are all in need, that we all have a need for a friend, somebody to share a burden, somebody to show hospitality to us, somebody to remind us of grace, all these kinds of things. But there's also those who are systematically being oppressed. There's also those who are being systematically overlooked. There are also those who are being kept from the worship and celebration of God. And those who even in their oppression and bondage worship God in such a beautiful way that we desperately need to be reminded of. Who are the strangers around you? One of the things about the pandemic, the story that many people were telling was, I finally had enough time and was at home enough that all of a sudden I started to get to know the names of my neighbors. The first thing that we have to do with strangers, and including immigrants and refugees specifically, otherwise we're going to miss out on part of God's heart, is we have to go turn those strangers into neighbors that those neighbors may become guests, that the guests may become friends, and that the friends may become family. In other passages in Deuteronomy, as God is laying out his plan for the nation of Israel, it's that the sojourner will be included inside the family unit and loved and cared for as if they were one of their own, that they may become part of the clan, the bigger family, the extended family, that they might become part of the tribe and part of the people, and part of the nation that might be, might be part of the blessing. The blessing of seeing God's heart in action and being at home in his heart. So who are the strangers around you that you can make a neighbor this week? Who are the neighbors that you can make a guest? Who are the guests that you can turn into a friend? The way that we show hospitality specifically to the foreigner, the alien, the stranger, the immigrant, the refugee is unpacked later on throughout the Bible. But I just want to share a couple of things to be thinking about. Uh, elsewhere in Deuteronomy, one of the things that's shared is that for the oppressed and the marginalized, the first thing you are to go to become a neighbor, that you might be a friend, that you might hear the story. Because without hearing the story, you can't advocate. And without advocacy, we cannot, as it says, apply the law fairly to the stranger just as to the native. See, God's heart for justice is that heart of equality that everybody would be able to stand up without bias or prejudice and lacking resources because of their circumstance. But how are we to provide the resources that God has blessed us with if we don't know the story? So when going to show hospitality, one of the things that it means is to go and listen. 
to go study. Whether studying is sitting down and hearing their story or the plight of, of, that they know from others like them or to do the research on your own. To know the story of oppression and the vulnerabilities to name them that God might stir up in you. I think he's a God who delivers from that. The second thing is to show generosity regularly. I want you to listen to this description from Deuteronomy 24. Whenever you are reaping the harvest of your field and you leave some grain in the field, don't go back and get it. Let it go to the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows, and the poor, so that the Lord God blesses you in all that you do. And the blessing is that the immigrants and the orphan and the widows and the poor would have what they need so they don't have to leave, so God's gifts and image and dignity in them might be incorporated as a blessing to the community. We're not going to serve because they don't have God's image. We're going to serve because he has greatly blessed and enriched them. And we go that he might reveal that even to us. Restoring their dignity, giving ear to their story, meeting their needs. God blesses you in all that you do. Similarly, when you beat the olives of your olive trees, don't go back over them twice. Let the leftovers go to, again, the immigrants, the orphans, the widows, and the poor. Again, a third time, when you pick the grapes of your vineyard, don't pick them over twice. Let the leftovers go to the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows. Remember how you were a slave in Egypt. That is why I'm commanding you to do this. Three times, Moses instructs the people to live the generous heart of God, live in the midst of it. By practicing leaving margin for others. Specifically, that holy quartet. So that you and them would be blessed. Because he is a God who blesses and delivers like this. And you'll forget it. You'll forget it if you're not in that heart. Do any of you have any olive trees? What about a vineyard? How many of you are working a field? In our culture at this church, there are many that, and this is talking about uh, you know, economic generosity, meeting the tangible needs of, of, of food. There are many in this church that do a really good job of being generous with their money to meet the needs of many of the local organizations will be generous with individuals as well. But something that I think we all need to have in mind as we think about the calendar turning to August is how do we leave the corners of the field of our calendar for the intentional practice of being with God's people that are strange and unlike us, being with his image bearers that we're not quite sure what the image is yet, but going to cultivate and listen to that blessing. When I look at my calendar, maybe you do this too, there's not a lot of space. And when there is space, I find something to do for myself to balance out the rest of the week. The people who I've seen walking and living in God's heart, God has over time brought more and more margin to their field, more than just the corners. They don't go and beat the olives and then let other people come get the remaining. They're beating the olives alongside other people. When we consider our time, what kind of margin do we have? 
Because the margin we have to be generous to others is the margin that we have to experience the generous heart of God and his blessings with us. May we be a people and a church that practice a rhythm as a community where we make time, where we leave corners empty for our neighbors, for the poor, for the widows and the orphans and the foreigners. Because that is the fullness of God's heart and the fullness of our home that he has made us for. There are some who have done this well in our midst. Again, I think that we have a lot of people doing this. The trick is how do we connect together, connect them to be able to go in groups instead. And one of the ways that we do that is by telling the story. So if you have that story to tell, tell it to somebody and, or tell it to me and I'll get up here and tell it to them. But Tracy Nolan and Cheryl Sanger have been working with refugee, soon to be mothers, with Friends of Refugees and their Embrace um, prenatal care clinic. Lee Beth Burge has served with Friends of Refugees alongside many of you uh, in part of their tutoring program for a long time. Our youth went and served as part of a camp a few weeks ago. And so I asked each of these people just to share a couple of, uh, to answer a couple of questions that I might share with you. The first is, you know, what did you need to know or uh, what did you need to know before you went? What did you experience when you were there? What do you want other people to know? And what they all said is that what I didn't know before I went was that I didn't have to be an expert because I was already an expert in everything that I needed. Tracy shared that as God kept bringing new moms in my path, I realized that I was an expert on how to take a baby's temperature. Lee Beth shared that as I met more and more students who needed to do their homework and learn and read, I knew that I was an expert at reading books in English. When you go, you're an expert because of what God has already put in you. And it's not different than the things he's already created you for that you're already going to do anyway. Showing hospitality, just like with the mills, is about going and living in the heart of God no matter where that you are and including any of the strangers that are around. What was it like when you got there? Showing hospitality, a few of them pointed out, to immigrants in this country, in the community of Clarkston, is so different than I thought. As Americans, we want to know what we're supposed to show up and do so that we can be done and go home. But it was so much more about relationship, encouragement. It was about listening to their stories and telling ours. Hospitality in Clarkston a lot of the time looked like receiving their hospitality because they do it so much better and different than we do. So it looked like coming in to have tea, leaving the corner of my afternoon available to linger a little bit longer, to go to doctor's appointments, to help register for classes in school, to sit with them in the midst of the homework. The last thing, what do you wish everybody knew? Don't be overwhelmed. The bigness of God and his design for the world can be overwhelming when you see the needs of other people. God didn't ask you to go meet all their needs. He asked you to go and give what you have. The small things mean a lot more than you think they do. Just showing up, just sharing to you. I want people to know that there's such a fear of being overwhelmed. How will what this is doing make a dent? How can it be enough? 
but I've learned to be faithful with just the need that's in front of me today because God is present in that. And then finally, the last thing to know. I always heard it said up front from all souls that by going and loving and serving other people, you will bless yourself. I learned as much from the people about the character of God as I went to go tell them. I want to finish with this quote. In Hebrews 13, uh, there's a verse that says, show hospitality to the stranger, the foreigner, because some have entertained angels in doing so. And it's referring to a passage in, in Genesis, I think it's chapter 18, where Abraham welcomes strangers outside his tent, and they turn out to be messengers from the Lord. And listen to what this commentator, William Lane, has to say. For Christians... A delight in the guest and host relationship reflects the expectation that God will play a significant role in the ordinary exchange between guests and hosts. This lends to hospitality a sacramental quality. The allusion to those who are entertained angels without knowing it reflects the writer's sensitivity to the numinous qualities of hospitality that often enrich its purely social aspect. When mysterious strangers become guests, revealing to their hosts the promise they are carrying with them, the stranger received is disclosed to be a bearer of God's gifts, a special envoy who has been sent to be a blessing in and through his children. A sacrament is a means of experiencing God's heart and presence. It's what we do in this meal. It's what's pictured in baptism. It's a reminder of God's heart and work in the world. And when we show hospitality to others, and especially the foreigner, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the poor, those our culture does not see or protect, we experience that they are actually bearers of God's image and a special gift and blessing for the world, just like you are. The word angel is used throughout the Bible just to be a messenger, an envoy. Somebody who carries the peace of God's heart that he's put in them to others. May we be a people delivered from the slavery and bondage of whatever our tradition and preference is. Delivered from fear of being overwhelmed. Delivered from taking up all the margin in our calendar each week. That we might go and receive blessing, walking in his goodness, experiencing his heart. Amen.